Is CVS's anti-tobacco strategy paying off? This is Industry Focus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Healthcare Edition. This is Christine Hargis, and I'll be your host today. Pleased to have Todd Campbell on the line today, one of The Motley Fool's finest healthcare contributors. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing a lot better after that compliment. <laughs> Glad to hear it. So we're going to kick off today talking a little bit about CVS Health, who reported earnings yesterday, Tuesday. Now, if you were just to look at the market reaction to earnings, you would think that CVS had not the greatest quarter. The stock was down somewhere in the neighborhood of 4%. I think it's recovered today, maybe a percentage point or so. But still, it didn't seem to me, actually looking at the earnings, like it was a bad quarter. So what happened? I think that a lot of investors have been pricing CVS to perfection. And one of the things that's interesting, by the way, I heard you on Market Foolery yesterday uh, talking about CVS. Perfect um, kind of primer on its on earnings season for the company. So what that got me thinking is, hey, is CVS's strategy the right strategy? You know, is that maybe why investors are so nervous about, you know, what it said during its conference call, that maybe they're concerned that the strategy isn't the best business strategy? So, you know, I spent a little bit of time looking at uh, some of CVS's top competitors and kind of comparing their quarters um, to CVS's. And frankly, I think investors might be, might have, you know, overreacted a little bit and been a little bit more negative than they had to be on CVS. So you mentioned CVS's strategy. Did you see words in the conference call that would imply that they're not as confident in the strategy anymore? And what, what even is the strategy that you're referring to? Well, you know, they made a huge bet last year that makes a lot of sense. I mean, they, uh, you know, they decided, hey, we're in the business of improving people's health. So why are we selling tobacco products? Um, if we're truly trying to improve people's health, health, we should not be selling these items. And if we're not selling these items then maybe we can use that to our advantage when we're discussing um, what we bring to the table for uh, in the form of either um, pharmacy benefit management services or in trying to get payers to direct um, their patients to get their scripts filled within CVS's stores. So in short, the strategy is stop selling tobacco, leverage that to drive um, prescription growth and sales growth that way instead. So you make a really interesting point there that CVS's business is not necessarily just focused on front-end store sales. And in fact, its back-end PBM business is kind of a larger part of the business story as a whole. And so this tobacco decision, that's a couple billion dollar loss that they're acknowledging, okay, we're willing to sacrifice this. And clearly, their intention there is that they can leverage this corporate commitment to a healthy lifestyle into something that's worth even more than that. So you mentioned that you looked into a little bit some comparisons on uh, CVS and some of its competitors. What are we seeing so far? Does it look like that particular strategy is paying off? I'm going to say yes. Uh, you know, I looked at, in my view, probably the, the best comparison is going to be to Walgreens, right? I mean, they're both competing on pretty much every neighborhood street corner in America at this point. Um, you know, and I compared CVS's retail store business to Walgreens store business. And what I discovered were two things that make me think that CVS is indeed on the right track uh, with its strategy. First, 
um, the prescription volume, the amount of prescriptions that CVS filled at its stores last quarter, was the, the growth was greater than it was at Walgreens. CVS um, filled, I think it was 4.8% uh, more prescriptions than they did a year ago, where Walgreens filled 4.1% more prescriptions. So growing faster than its peers in that important metric that is a really good indication of what you know, future sales would be as people continue to get those prescriptions refilled over and over and over again. And then the other thing that I looked at and that gives me confidence is the fact that, you know, CVS's market share last quarter actually grew by 60 basis points. Um, so it's now 21.6%. Walgreens grew by 20 basis points to 19.3%. So you're filling more scripts and your market share is growing more quickly than your largest peer. And in my view, if you're in the business of prescriptions, that's what's important. So on the retail store uh, business, I think CVS's strategy is, is paying off. But that brings up another question. Is it paying off in terms of them being able to win additional business on the pharmacy benefit management side, which is you know the, the business that they run uh, where they, they manage basically drug programs for healthcare payers like insurers and self-employed, uh, self-insured employers. And, you know, what I did there is I compared it to Express Scripts, an another stock that we at The Motley Fool uh, tend to like. And also the largest PBM. Yeah. And what I discovered is that CVS is doing really well versus Express Scripts, too. Um, you know, last quarter, CVS's sales and its PBM business were up uh, almost 12%. And Express Scripts were up only about one and a half percent. You know, I also, you know, another way to evaluate PBMs is to look at, you know, the growth in their the amount of claims that they're processing. And claims that were processed at CVS were up about eight point seven percent, while at Express Scripts they actually dropped a little bit. So, in my eyes, that's telling me that CVS is indeed, well, let's say it's. I'll say that it's outcompeting based on this, you know, look at it. Um, you know, again, it's largest competitor in that business. So overall, you know, I think the investors may be overreacting when they sell off CVS on this report. I think that, you know, yes, there's a lot of pain tied to the lost two billion in lost sales to tobacco products, but again, they're making a bigger, longer-term push, and that's to grab as much prescription volume and prescription-related revenue as they can. And in my view, that's what they're doing. And hey, we're long-term investors, so that's exactly the kind of thing that we like to see. Without a doubt. I mean, you don't want to take a short-term approach to uh, a long-term trend like aging America and increasingly insured America. Um, without a doubt, that's I agree with you. Yeah. So turning to another trend that uh, we keep hearing in, in the headlines, and especially you mentioned Express Scripts, and we're talking about PBMs. So I want to talk a little bit about drug pricing and payer pushback, particularly with this new class of cholesterol medications called PCSK9 inhibitors. Todd, what's the deal with these drugs? What's the big deal? These drugs, are, I'm not going to call them miraculous, but you know what they what they could do um, as far as improving um, the heart disease statistics in America uh, is pretty darn impressive. You know, currently, for the last 20 so years or so, um, the go-to treatment for people who are at risk of heart disease have been statins. And statins work very well at reducing the amount of cholesterol that is produced in the liver. 
great. So you reduce reduce um, cholesterol and that thereby lowers the risk of having a heart attack or a stroke. However, heart disease still remains the leading cause of death in among both uh, men and women, despite widespread use of statins by tens of millions of patients here in America alone. So what happened, what research has continued, obviously, because this is a big indication, people want to try and improve upon it and bring new drugs to market. Um, and PC uh, SK9 drugs are basically, they work differently than statins. Instead of, you know, inhibiting the production of cholesterol in the liver, they allow for more receptors uh, to exist within the liver that can clear bad cholesterol from the bloodstream. So by using PCSK9 inhibitors alongside statins, you can actually reduce bad cholesterol levels even further. And theoretically, I say that because it hasn't yet been proven in long-term studies, uh, reduce, further reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke. So what's the potential market here? It sounds enormous. It could be absolutely break the bank big. Um, you know, this is something that Express Scripts, CVS, uh, and all healthcare payers are watching very, very carefully. Um, Regeneron is the maker of the drug. Um, they, are, they have a partner, Sanofi. Um, they wasted no time when this drug got approved last month in setting a price tag of 14600 per year for this drug. $14,600 a year. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, this... Considering the fact that the addressable patient population out of the gate could be as much as 10 million patients, I mean, you're talking about just breathtaking um, potential <laughs> sales for, these, for this class of drugs. Um, you know, if just 500,000 people take Proluent, then you're still talking about $7.3 billion in sales for that drug in the coming year. And of course, they're probably going to have to end up splitting some of that market with Repatha from Amgen that should be slated for an FDA decision on August 27th. But still, yeah, payer, yeah, payer pushback is huge on, on drugs overall. I mean, we've seen it in the news a lot because of hepatitis C drugs. Um, we've seen it with cancer drugs. Um, and like you said, with competition coming from in the form of Amgen's drug, Pfizer's got one they're working on, you could absolutely see price competition bring the, the, the net prices that are being paid for these drugs or the discounts that are being offered get bigger and the net price fall. Um, but even if you're talking about a 40 to 50% decline in you know, gross to net, you're still talking about you know, a drug that could do $3.6 billion a year treating 500,000 people. And that's only on an addressable patient population of 10 million. You know, they've got studies ongoing now that theoretically um, could one day make this a standard of care for anyone at risk of heart disease, not just those with genetic mutations that make them susceptible uh, or people that have previously had a stroke or a heart attack. And if that happens, well, who knows how big this market could be. So do you have any sort of estimates for what a realistic sustainable price could be here? I think it's probably more likely that you're going to see pricing come down to about, you know, on a net basis, seven to $8,000. Um, I think that that'll happen over the course of the next 18 months to two years. It really depends on a lot of things, including, um, you know, how aggressive Express Scripts and CVS are and wanting to do exclusivity deals like they did with uh, Gilead and AbbVie when they, you know, um, ink deals for exclusive use of their drugs to try and you know, let, you know, play the two off of each other to get prices down. 
Um, but I think that that's probably pretty fair, seven to eight grand. And even then, like I said, you're talking about billions of dollars in sales a year for for each of these companies that roll out these drugs. So either way you slice it, you still have some drugs that are slated to be absolutely wildly successful here. I think so. And I think that that means that, you know, you know, as an investing show, we're trying to help our fellow fools figure out, you know, how 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 to approach these companies. Um, you know, I think that you have to look at Amgen, you have to look at Regeneron, um, you have to look at Santa Fe, you have to keep these stocks in mind because, you know, yes, these could be move the needle, uh, top and bottom line drugs for these companies. Yeah. And along that same note, I'll remind everybody that on fool.com, we've got a ton of great coverage of all of these stocks. But again, people on this program, Todd and I, we have, may have interest in the stocks that we talk about. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against them. So do your own research. Don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. Todd, I'm going to close us off with that. Thank you so much for being here today and for all this awesome information. Guys listening, I will talk to you soon. And until then, full on.